Okay, we're live. Uh, okay, well, welcome to the podcast, Ryan. I know we're kind of in the middle of a conversation. I just wanted to uh, fucking <laughs> get something, get this recorded because I think this is pretty in depth and uh, pretty pretty cool stuff. We're talking about blockchain. You're discussing, <clears throat> excuse me, you're discussing why we're looking right now at what's happening as of today's date, you know, April fourteenth, twenty twenty one. Why more regulation is seemingly moving to like in favor of of cryptocurrency and blockchain and, and there's like this this fire that has been ignited we don't think it's going anywhere it seems pretty pretty obvious that it's it's moving in the right direction you know with regulation on the right side of the fence and you're about to go into your analysis of that so take it away bud uh well yeah so i was just talking about how um one of the examples i'm seeing of regulation getting sorted out there's this desktop wallet I was using back in 2017. It's called Exodus. It has continued to be used. I, I moved on to hardware wallets and, and stuff like that, but this this wallet project still exists and has been getting developed. And I just opened it up recently and I saw that they are selling stock. They're selling actual class A company stock as a token inside of this wallet and they've made it SEC compliant they're one of the i think they're one of the first organizations to to do that so i think this is actually where the market's going so i think it's sort of like a revolution that might go well without a shot being fired you know and so you've got protocols value their tolerance for operating in a contested environment at different levels like you got your bitcoin maxis on the far right side of that spectrum like prepared for war prepared for the government to come after it and every and the network is still going to survive because people will just keep running nodes on their laptops the difficulty will come down uh to keep to keep things moving along um you know there's really no scenario in which you get to kneecap bitcoin whereas with the ethereum network um with the slightly more complex or not slightly with the with the more complex structure of the network the different tiers of nodes, the um, uh, infrastructural reliance, uh, and more purists will say that it's not complete reliance on Infura, but we know that if Infura gets messed with, that it's not nothing. There's problems with the network that are tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you could you could make the argument now that things are going in the direction of, of being favorable, uh, even in you know, in large governments like the United States and stuff where uh, the hammer probably never will come down. Like um, just the the threat of Honey Badger-like unstoppability from the Bitcoin network might be enough to just prevent any actual regulation ever coming down because the regulators don't want to look like fools. Um, so... Now, yeah, it makes me wonder. So you you see the anti-fragility of the Bitcoin network as a whole in some sense protecting the the you know other blockchains from scrutiny and how do you, how do you make that leap because there's there's really different there's there's so much there's so many different projects that are you know have all these different implications <coughs> excuse me and <coughs> Some of them are, are are obviously 
I would think they're a lot more prone to regulation because they're they're newer, they're easier to stop. I mean, this is what they did. They they took a stab at Ripple. They they failed, or it seems that they have failed. <clears throat> but there are many other blockchain projects that are like way newer, and I would I would I would imagine that many of these are going to cross lines where they're going to be they're going to be stunted or they're going to be shut down. You don't see it that way because of. I'm just curious how you make the leap between since Bitcoin has become this this massive bonfire that isn't being put out, how you extrapolate that that all other crypto projects or blockchain projects are safe. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, I'm not sure how strong of a of an assertion that is. Um, you know, so if you look at a if you look at a scenario where there is some hostile state action toward these toward these tools because they can't control the value of money things like that um if we get into those scenarios then those vets are off like they're going to try even if even if they know they can't do it they're going to try then you do you do get sort of the um the crypto mass extinction event that the Bitcoin maxis talk about that, you know, that, that becomes likely, it starts to seem like a, a possibility. Um, but even if it does happen, all of these things will basically reinvent themselves out of the ether shortly after, and not to use the word ether, but, but <laughs> all these things, they'll, they'll reinvent themselves all over again yeah. because these are necessary infrastructural tools. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think probably like, like think about, you know, what do we think about survivalists and, um, you know, really hardcore libertarian people, people that play with extreme ideologies, um, they generally never get their day in court like that. Those edge cases of reality, right. they very rarely come around, you know, really deep black swan events. Um, so it's nice to be prepared for these extreme events. But in all likelihood, uh, you know, barring very extreme levels of like, I don't know, revolution, corruption, hostility, like a lot of these eventualities probably aren't ever coming to pass. Like most of these blockchain projects probably won't fail because of some um, extreme regulatory event. They'll just they'll probably just fall into disuse because they don't become the standard of everyday commerce. I think the right. battle for the battle for who is the most uh, the battle for who buys your coffee, I think is going to be a big battle. Um, whatever the default choice for buying your coffee, whenever when there's a when there's a, there's a 10,000 transaction per second world payment rail, yeah, that's going to be the winner. And it's going to drive a lot of other projects probably into disuse yes um but i don't be... i don't necessarily think it's going to be an extreme regulatory battle yeah well it is it is you know one of those concepts in in marketing where you have the first and the second mover they eat everything right they they eat everything and that would be bitcoin and ethereum you know there's people who think that there are other chains that are going to be superior to ether or ethereum you know, I'm not convinced yet just because of the amount of, of headway that they have with it. And I think you're right. Like once you can buy, once you go to Starbucks and you can buy something, if they, if, you know, in the year that Starbucks takes Ethereum, 
what what motivation do they have to hold other currencies beyond one or two like bitcoin and ethereum like you know is it like do you think do you see it likely that they would accept 15 other cryptocurrencies i I it would i would that wouldn't make sense to me but i mean it wouldn't necessarily have it wouldn't make a lot of me ever go into a restaurant and you see like 15 ipads for different delivery services behind the counter (laughs) yeah it doesn't make any sense but we see it all the time yeah um the thing about cryptocurrencies is that they are all kind of like exchange tradable and maybe there's some value to this where people just like playing with they like playing with all these tiny currencies and shuffling them around like penny stocks like it's, it's some form of gambling or something that people enjoy right. and so if there's if if exchange is a very trivial process and you just walk into Starbucks and maybe they don't give a shit how you pay for your coffee but like as long as it goes through Uniswap or what the fu- or whatever, and it just as long as the it transaction comes out, yeah, yeah. If they can get whatever they want in whatever amount they want, and it can the exchange can happen at point of sale or whatever, like no one's going to care what currency it starts as. That's a good. Point. Um, and it looks like we're investing in that infrastructure now. Like when I look at Uniswap and I see these open markets of ex- of exchange that does look like a direction, you know, 50 different stable coins that all have different properties. Um, I, I do think there's the 80, 20 rule is going to keep applying where the bulk of the commerce is going to take place in a small number of these projects mm-hmm. and tokens just out of practicality sake. But I don't see a huge need for the rest of the list to go away. Um, but I, I do think there's probably going to be a funny thing where these, these currently antagonistic, ETH and Bitcoin communities, it's probably going to, a lot of that's probably going to resolve in, you know, most commerce. I I feel like I I won't be surprised if the answer to how you buy your coffee is um, wrapped Bitcoin on an Ethereum layer two. That just seems to be, it seems to be a pretty low lying conclusion. The biggest brand name in cryptocurrency doesn't, it doesn't really, they didn't really invest in a payment. uh, They didn't invest in the DeFi infrastructure. Yeah. In a way, they invest. They invested in this long-standing trust relationship with users. Yeah. Um, whereas Ethereum, that whole community is willing to burn everything down and rebuild it over and over again in order to get something continually more innovative that works better. And you know, with that many people with billions of dollars funding them, you're 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 attracting some of the most talented people on earth, they're going to crack it. They're going to, they're going to build the system they want to build eventually. Um, that's kind of a foregone conclusion. Um, in my mind, it's, it's not, it's not if it's when, and um, you, you can watch the pace of innovation. I don't think anyone has any doubt that this is going to, this is going to eat FinTech and it's going to eat anything that a regular bank does. Like it, regular banks and fintech are so far so far behind what's going on in this in this space that you know replacing replacing the work of banks and and fintech is going to be like a, a a small you know train stop on this railway of progress like it's going to it's going to stop there for a second and it's going to keep right on going into new financial products and services that haven't even been imagined um before now yeah, one of the things I thought was 
pretty interesting in, in listening to a, a series with, with, with Sailor was he was saying like, you know, everyone's looking right now. You've got, you know, many hundreds of trillions of dollars of asset classes that as an investor, you're looking to know like where the hell do I store my money right now? You know, what's safe? And people are looking to tech right now because that's that seems to be the thing that's just exploding. And, you know, as we as we've seen over the course of this year and the last, but what he's what he relates it to is, you know, in history you've you've looked at the technology companies that were, you know, of the past, it was like that was oil, that was telecommunications, that was all these 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 companies that have now been deemed as you know utility companies right or mm. you know, so you you're you basically when you have something deemed as a utility and you've got you know essentially only a cup co- only a couple companies running the game at what point does apple or does google are these are you know or just or facebook social media at what point is that deemed a utility if ever there's a there's a there's a certain probability at which that could actually happen or there's a certain Time frame in which that could happen at what at a given you know probability that that does play out that way and so as an as an investment he's saying you know well we could certainly see more growth in those areas but however he he believes and as I've you know thought about it it makes sense that at a certain point you're going to see those some of these platforms for sure probably move towards being um, considered utilities and at that point you know. Where where where's your safe haven now? Because you're not going to be, you know, able to invest like that as you would be in some. So it's not it's not a growth stock anymore at that point, right? Yeah, it's not a growth stock. I mean, once you have, once you once Bitcoin's nine ten trillion dollars, that's so much money that there's hardly an institution or individual in the world that can even move the needle anymore. It's, it's, it's just so much money at that point that like you could, you could build up raucous levels of excitement and you're not going to see it move 10% in a day. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's where the stability is going to come from is just from it being big. Um, and I, I think that's, uh, a great thing in a lot of ways that will, it'll, it'll start becoming the thing that it aspired to be. It won't, it won't, um, It'll become a lot more boring, I think. It'll it'll literally just be a means of payment, mm-hmm. and you'll expect that its value goes up residually as the years go on. But it probably will be more akin to the stock market or more common, more common investments. Um, it won't be it won't be the zero to one insanity that we've seen for years now. Yeah, yeah, it is something. I'm like, <clears throat> you wonder where you're at with it because there's so much excitement right now but there's also it seems like a it's it does still seem and you know this will this will be dated really well whenever (laughs) you know we 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 see what what unfolds but it does seem to me like this is still very early as a asset class like in every way it's better than gold and gold is valued at seven trillion dollars you can't tell me one way in which gold is is better, other than the fact that it's been around longer and there's more trust behind it. That's it. And so, as things change, as thing as people wake up, as more institutions, I think, realize what this what this really is, then you're going to see a, a fucking just insane um, 
you know, you're going to continue to see an insane movement towards this, this asset class. And yeah, what do you think? What, like, what do you think it'll take Like how many years away do you think we are until it overtakes gold as an asset class? Uh, I mean, I think 2025 is sort of the, is the year 2025 is the mainstream year where, you know, the majority of the world will have accepted that this is the truth and this is the future of money. Um, mm -hmm. I still think we're going to see some truly shocking things this year as far as um, institutional adoption. I, I think the shoe could drop any day now and any month this year, we could see Apple. an ETF. Yeah. You could see Walmart buy it. Like there's already rumors that Walmart's buying a ton of Bitcoin. Um, yeah, I saw that. The, you know, people, there's all these things people want to believe. And then there's things that might actually be true. Um, who knows? The potential is certainly there. Um, and the U.S. government might turn out to be much more favorable toward this stuff uh, than we ever expected, because it might ultimately turn out to be a tool of diplomacy that we still can use uh, against China uh, or to, you know, maintain certain geopolitical um positions that are that are advantageous uh you know we might just see that you know there's smarter people in higher places in government than we expect and that they're they're more than willing to mm. change strategies and back a new asset class if it serves their interests in a way that they can understand um a lot of that remains to be seen um i don't think we're that far away from sovereigns deciding just deciding that they're going to put parts of public treasury into the into these asset classes um there's certainly an appetite for it if you talk to anyone who lives in a uh more of a brick country that uh that actually has to deal with developing world challenges that's where there's the most voracious appetite for this kind of technology and yeah. this kind of change those people aren't aren't comparing pros and cons between what they view as a relatively functioning, relatively low corruption system and this fancy alternative. Those are the people that are in a, that are in a house that's burning down looking for a fire truck. Yeah. Uh, and they, they don't care if it's like, as long as it's pretty good, they're jumping in. They're not, they're not waiting. So this is something you mentioned earlier. You said when it gets to about a $10 trillion, you know, valuation, there's not there's not much there's no institution in the world that can make a big you know make the needle move that way that doesn't really take into account though should nation states start adopting this as their national uh, reserve currency and or you know central banks starting to stop holding us dollars and start holding bitcoin instead because they see uh, you know a deflating asset on one end and this that, that I think will be like the last thing if, if it, you know, I think that will be like the last one for perhaps if, if ever, but I think that you will see, what do you think is, what do you think is going to happen first? Do you think we're going to see more S and P 500 companies come out publicly and say, yes, we bought Bitcoin like Walmart or Apple or, um, or do you think we're going to see a small nation state that says we're going to adopt this as our reserve currency? Um, the reserve currency one, I it could take a while. I feel like there yeah. could be a small state that does it by surprise, but it, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. The reason I think the $10 trillion number, well, I'll say was, not is anymore because that number is less important now because of all the money printing. But the reason that I thought 
10 trillion dollars was special is because most nation states you can actually see a ranking of of um uh world currencies how much supply there is uh i think even coin market cap has a list like this uh and you can see where bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies fall on this list and you can pretty much see you can you can kind of draw a straight line uh from where it is now to how big it would be and then you can you can sort of by analogy think about the relative price stability of large world currencies and you can assume that those attributes sort of flow into bitcoin or any asset class that reaches those levels um and so you look at the relative price stability of gold um and that's around a nine trillion dollar asset class and there's not a ton of volatility in the price of gold um there's not a ton of volatility in the price of the uh the us dollar or the euro or the chinese yuan and so yeah we can we can pretty much assume that you know if we look at look at all the money in the world um you're talking about a hundred you're talking about something measured in hundreds of trillions of dollars and even a tenth of that gives you enough asset concentration to achieve a certain level of of stability a, a practical level of stability and so i i think that is kind of the that's the critical mass to where the party's kind of over nine ten trillion dollar bitcoin it gets less exciting after that point and it becomes more of a practical thing than like a getting early investment vehicle it, it becomes a source of collateral it becomes a unit of account it, it sort of achieves a lot of the goals it set out to achieve um and it becomes a lot less exciting and more practical um and i just think that's a function of scale um and yeah i think it's, it's definitely that's the that's the level at, at which it's infrastructure and not revolution or, or you know however you want to view it now mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense i you know it's it's still crazy to think about the fact that yeah you could just see some it, it's not going to be something that happens quickly i think but it, i think within the next couple of years you very well could see some small to medium-sized nation state that says yeah like we're tired of this bullshit with, you know, our currency's falling apart, our government's lying to us, we're going to, you know, adopt something. Well, I get, you know, it would, they're just basically tired of, of having a deflated asset that's just, you know, like, like Zimbabwe or Argentina or, you know, Cyprus or any of these countries that have been um, just dealing with a lot of turmoil and what that would mean not only like from a like a market cap standpoint but just in terms from a marketing standpoint right cuz i think the biggest thing that is where we're on that we're on like the cusp right now of this i mean you're seeing the mainstream adoption it's definitely here but people there's still such a massive lack of understanding and like people still don't believe like there i i, see, I hear people that are like oh, it's going to crash another 80%, another like, you know, go back down. And I'm like, I don't think so, man. I really don't think that you're going to, you're going to see a, probably a, a, a good correction. But I, you know, my brother's one of these people where I'm, I'm trying to tell him, you know, man, I think he's like, I'm going to wait for it to get back down to, I can't remember the exact number he said, but like 30 before he, you know, gets back in. And I'm just like, dude, I don't think we're going back there, man. I, I think, you know, that train has left the station. 
And, you know, I, I just, uh, yeah. So I think when you, when you, when you start having more of this adoption take place, it's just going that it's going to fuel the marketing machine and you're basically going to get, you know, the, the, the bottom is just going to continuously just keep rising and not, and not go to a point where it was, was. So that's, that's what I, what I see with it. Cause the, the marketing is so huge, right? Because it, it ultimately everything is driven by the demand and the belief. And so there's going to be things that shake the belief along the way. There's going to be, you know, some, some news that comes out, some people are going to get freaked out and, you know, that's going to crash some things that you'll, you know, some of that might even be manufactured to have other people that can, you know, come in and buy shit up at a, at a cheaper price. I think that's actually going to most certainly play out at some, at some level while there's still this room for manipulation at the lower, at the lower market cap. But I think once you're right, once you get to that higher level, that's going to become near you know, impossible. Like how, how much would you have to have to be able to manipulate the market when it's at a $10 trillion market cap, right? Um, so yeah, it really is. It's just a crazy thing, man. I, I've been spending too much time. <laughs> I'm like at the gym listening to, to like <laughs> Bitcoin podcasts. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I don't think the belief we're never going to see the erosion of belief in the stuff like we did after 2017. Yeah. Um, that was a real shake where the people were thinking like, okay, it's done. Yeah. I, I think it, it died twice, you know, it, yeah. um, it, you know, there were people announced the death of it after 20, after 2013, yeah. they announced the death of it after 2017. They, um, I think two is a pattern, you know, people aren't, uh, you know, fool me twice. Um, two is a pattern or two is, two is the beginning of a pattern. Three is a trend. Um, and then in combination with the social proof of the, the size of the organizations, the size of the investments, no one's going to forget how much money is invested with billionaires and smart people mm. after this. And those people aren't going to let their collateral go to zero. Um, it's just not going to happen. And they're gonna, there's, there's political groups. We're seeing the integration of the political and financial spheres here where there's now lobbying groups that are being formed around this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, we're seeing communication. Um, you, I guess if, you could almost – we're seeing communication come out of the SEC and come out of these organizations. What have you it. seen on the lobbying front? Well, you said you mentioned you've seen lobbying groups being formed. There's a, I was trying to remember the name of it, but um, I want to say like MicroStrategy, Fidelity Investments, and there's a couple of organizations literally have put funds behind forming a lobbying group yeah. to advocate for crypto-friendly policy at the federal government level. And I have no doubt that they're going to have uh, a significant amount of the influence that they hope to achieve. <laughs> did yeah. you – did you – uh, did you see that BlackRock had now filed with the SEC to start buying up Bitcoin for some of their, some of their funds? I just saw the thing about their, they made a tiny purchase of some futures contracts. Mm -hmm. Um, that was the first hint that they were talking about something, but no, I hadn't heard anything about BlackRock filing to, to buy larger amounts of stuff. 
So I don't know if they if they if they were saying like to large amounts, but yeah, basically that they're gearing up to. Maybe it was maybe maybe I mis misinterpreted the information, but yeah, it basically saying that they're, um, to yeah a, a much smaller smaller percentage of their asset assets under management they're looking to um start buying Bitcoin for. So I saw Kathy Wood from Arc talking about a fund that they're building privately internally that they haven't really talked about publicly. Um, yeah, they're they're buying up. Bitcoin ETH, and she's even talking about secondary coins. Actually, the first thing that came to her mind um, was Decred. And Decred is a DAO project from 2017. It's sort of like the first DAO, first successful DAO project. And it's been largely uh, not talked about, uh, even as DAOs are getting more popular, but they've been doing good work for years um, amongst technologists, people that actually know significant amounts about projects in the space people talk about decred as being a respectable project that's done a lot of uh, done a lot of interesting work um, and it was one of the first things out of kathy wood's mouth and she's if you want to see a smart person talk like every now I, I saw i read a tweet stream from kathy wood she's great and man she's smart um just makes you realize there's levels to it yeah yeah she was basically i she i, I listened to her talk about she's like how the the 60 40 portfolio is dead you know 60 percent uh stocks 40 percent bonds she's like basically saying that you need to be holding no less than 20 percent uh bitcoin or, or crypto i think specifically she said bitcoin but you know yeah these are not these are not like it was it's a totally different game <clears throat> a few years ago this this level of national attention and this level of um institutional attention and, and, and smart people that were publicly saying like this is you know, we're past the experiment now. We're we're past the experiment phase. This is this is now tried and true. And yeah, I, I do I, I do wonder like I wonder how quickly it'll take for it to get to a point where you can where you can really do where there's just no reason to be in fiat if you don't need to if you don't want to be. I wonder how far away we are from that. And I wonder how the the taxes will evolve with this as well. If you never go back into fiat, what the hell, as a citizen of a country, how, how do you even uh, you you know say you have self custody of something like how do you even go about how do they go about validating what you've like, yeah it's it's all really I have no idea how to think about it. I mean it's uh it's super interesting. I don't, I don't think. I don't think you can think about it um, from the perspective from from the perspective of the traditional organization trying to figure trying to look in. Yeah, I don't think it's a soluble problem. I think the only way it's to be understood is um, to take a crypto native point of view, um, and then you'll have to tie it back to the traditional organization somehow. But I I, I think I mean, so. I'll, I'll give you an example. So. Um, how do you solve identity on a blockchain? How, how do you how do you create a system such that you know I have one place to look for your identity record the same way that I, and I have as much trust in it as I do for a passport? How do I be sure that you have got one canonical identity record that there isn't a copy of it that there is a chain of paperwork that associates this identity with you? Um, and 
these thought experiments are being borne out with stuff like the proof of humanity project where they're creating a graph network. They're doing what Facebook did. They're doing it very well where they, um, you show up, you say that I'm a real person. You, uh, you sign a transaction with a cryptocurrency wallet. You say that my identity will be tied to this wallet. And then you start interacting with people that attest to that. Like they, I actually got on a phone call today where one of the, one of the researchers from that project got on a screen call with, got on a, got on a Google call with me and was, um, you know, asking me questions, verifying that I existed and stuff because they had to put well, their reputation on. Yeah, they had to put their reputation on the line to vouch for me. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, so they're basically attesting that, you know, this is me and then there's no one else like me on the network that they're, you know, the AI screening tools that checked for similar faces didn't find two of me. Um, you know, they're doing what they can to maintain the health of this network. And then you can you can imagine how over time that just progresses into a, a graph that basically you can you can um, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon you can map out all the people in the world. Seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, yeah, he can only so, be in so many places at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and okay, so this gets so much more fascinating um, because the first initiative they've tied to this proof of humanity network, the big incentive to get into the, the network, UBI. the UBI coin. And yeah. so, um, and there's no, there was no plan to give this coin a value, but they did list it on Uniswap and make it exchange tradable. So just by putting a liquidity pool behind it and making it exchange tradable, we're finding that people are willing to ascribe a value to this coin. Mm -hmm. It's trading for like 80 cents a coin right now. Um, and so like they haven't even gotten into the tokenomics of trying to justify the value of this coin with a, you know, a form of collateral or uh, a but that scarcity does, argument. At the same time, let you know that it's a totally wild, wildly speculative, and because there's there's nothing really attached to it. Sure, it totally is. Uh, but that's that wasn't you know, it, it's it's basically a system that fully discloses that hey, this was this was an experiment. It seems to be progressing faster than we thought the, yes. the one nice the nicety they gave to it is they made it directly exchange tradable they didn't nerf the coin so you can get this coin and then immediately trade it up to a stable coin or to a, a harder asset hmm. um so they don't stop you from doing that it's exchange tradable it's a it's a real coin in the wild um and right now at that that 80 cents an hour or whatever it comes out to like half a grand a month or something like that um, that's not trivial. So uh, if you think about expanding this network out, um, to the nth degree, you're providing this foundation of sustenance for potentially everyone on earth. At that point, we would find out if the tokenomics still work without much investigation, or if you need a stronger way to back up the value of that coin, whether you need some more complex scarcity mechanism or something like that. Um, but those, th I think this is sort of getting into the, the logic of the Ethereum community where, um, we can see part of the way forward, but not the whole way forward. We pick it, we pick a problem and go after it and we discover some astounding things. One of the profoundly positive things about a UBI coming from the blockchain community is that that project executed well could take away a lot of the political will to get governments to try to do something like that. 
And this, these are profoundly powerful things where if we can create decentralized private market solutions for social problems, for, um, for common goods and things like that, well, all of a sudden we can really kill a lot of poisonous ideologies um, that exist in, um, you know, governmental organizations that are not arguably like matter of factly, they back up their policies through force. And there's a lot of things we don't want backed up that way, especially when they're experimental. So we want these experiments of, of moving the public good forward to happen in these less serious, more playful environments. Um, and then we want them to find a solution. And then we move that solution up in the hierarchy of, of systems that work uh, yeah. for humanity. And, and that's the, the profound power of, of decentralized finance and decentralized autonomous organizations is it gives humanity these playgrounds to solve all of our like um, remaining resource problems. It's really, really, really profound. Where do you see this project going? This um, what's it called? Humanity. Uh, this humanity project. What's it called? Proof of humanity. Proof so of humanity. So, yeah. so this is a this is a sub initiative of Democracy Earth. Um, oh, got it. Okay, got it. Nice. So this is uh, this is part of the the larger product larger project to build a DAO that you can then enforce legislation through, which will be able to start at a smaller. So just to, to put it in plain terms, this is a, a project that uh, there's a, a group of developers out there that are looking to see how they can implement blockchain technology to empower people at local governments or in, in local communities to positively affect change in their community where they can then go about and say, Okay, guys, we we've noticed this this you know issue over here. We want to basically give everyone the power to vote on it and and act on it immediately through the blockchain. And you could set up systems and processes in place so that that could be done very instantaneously with with this technology. You want to expand on that? Was that a good overview? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you can you can use a lot of trivial examples to see how this might be useful. I mean, so imagine that, I mean, you could, you could use a, a potholes or a nice visualization. It's a very right. simple in, infrastructure problem. So imagine that we're in the town of whatever Illinois and, uh, you know, roads are in disrepair or whatever. And um, me and 10,000 other people, 20,000 other people in that community, we, um, we uh, we pool resources together. Uh, we we're associated through this network. Um, we all kind of you know contribute some level of resources. You know, basically a form of taxation to this smart contract that we can all see. And we know that every now and then we use this organization. We use this funding tool to solve problems. So um, yeah, there could be some initiative to solve some pothole on you know the second block of Main Street. Um, and so maybe there's a proposal that goes up, there's evidence, there's pictures of it. Uh, people talk about it. People say like, yeah, this is screwing me up on my commute to work every day, or I'm driving around this thing, or, you know, someone broke their leg and whatever the case is, we, we prioritize this. We have this discussion of proposals and then um, we make a decision, we get a contractor involved. You know, someone in that network is like, 
oh, I can solve that for this amount of money. And then two other people come in and they, they basically, because all the discussion is happening in one place with resources and with the stakeholders, you know, with people that don't necessarily know each other, uh, but we know the association and we know that there's a trusted source of an uncorruptible source of funds here that is only going to get used for the things that we deem relevant. Um, that we actually don't need a government. We, we don't need another secondary organization to solve these problems for us. We can say like, hey, there's this pothole here on this road and whatever. The contractor jumps in, whatever. It's like, hey, if you guys want to send um, this amount of funds, half of the funds uh, to cover, send the funds to cover the cost right now and then send me a fee as my reward after I send proof of the job being done. Right. Uh, you know, I'm willing to enter into that smart contract. Proposal goes up, proposal gets voted on by whoever wants to be involved. Um, and it's it's not too hard now that we've been living with the internet for 30 years to imagine that if you have this secure layer of finance and communication, it's not too hard to imagine solving things like that. Mm. And then, but and the once real- you can do that, yeah. The, the real benefit to this is is that there's there isn't this infinite sink of time and energy <clears throat> into getting this the the simplest thing done at a community level. Whereas, like you know, I'm sure you ever you ever watch Parks and Recreation? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like you know this is uh, local you know Parks and Recreation Department at this um, you know local government center in in like illinois or something and they they're just like laughably it's just this comedy where they're laughably struggling to get the simplest things done like you know there's like several seasons where they're just trying to like fill in fill in this dirt that is this massive pothole like they essentially this massive pothole next to you know that's a just become this like crime-ridden area and you know, people want it to change they, they simply they can't jump through all the red tape that's necessary so you could just create your own pool in your community and everything would be verified. Nothing could be hacked. You would be able to effectively get change on something done very quickly. And with this proof of humanity project, you could even have proof of everyone being one person and there wouldn't be much of a way to game the system. Is that right? That's pretty much exactly right. So you, you invest in your, your identity strategy up front. That's actually one of the first things they discovered is that, right identity is one of the biggest problems in establishing a um, a good DAO system. If I can't right. solve identity, if I can't yes. prove that you're you and you're not a hundred bot accounts, I don't have much. Yeah. Um, so that's what they, they've really focused on making sure that you're you and like they want, they want to get that down to an assumption down to a primitive, um, assumption of the network that we don't have to worry about that problem anymore. Uh, once we can solve that, a lot of things flow naturally from that. Um, we can very easily uh, get people to agree who's in a geographical area. If I change geographical areas, it gives me sort of a central place to go to say like, hey, I'm now in this area. I can prove that with this. I live here. I've got this. Include me in your dealings so I can vote on initiatives and proposals and deal with the public funds in this area. Um, and think about how much, how incredible the amount of friction is inside of government around the movement of money. 
Um, I, I'm very familiar with this from working in the military. Um, there is so much, um, there's so much stress around who controls money and the inappropriate movement of money because there's so much invested in these high friction systems. Uh, I mean, they're ultimately trying to prevent fraud and um, trying to, they're trying to translate the will of the people into uh, public goods and actions, but there's just so many layers of convolution that the end result is growth and efficiency. Um, but these systems give us a way to deal with public funds um, in much more straightforward ways. And I think it's, it's like the same way that we discovered how these applications like Instagram and Facebook all profiteered immensely is incredibly off of lowering the bar for participation and contribution. Yeah. The same, the same will happen with public works. Um, you know, it's an age old problem. Like we have a government because who's going to pay for the roads? Like, am I going to pay for it? Are you going to pay for it? Whatever. But this technology introduces that fundamental layer of sophistication to where we can do that probably as a frictionless process that uh, we, you can agree with all the people in your neighborhood that we're going to pay for a repaving of the roads on a 15-year rolling basis or whatever that is. We can figure that out and we can start accruing funds toward it. We can get the contracting done and we can get all of it done in a visible place. We can minimize the people that have to be involved in the process and we can begin to make the argument for smaller um, governmental structures, actual governmental structures, because, you know, it's harder for them to be like, well, you need us to, for infrastructure and for these things. And they go, well, we don't. So we're already taking care of it ourselves. We now have these more efficient, more everyday solutions for things that used to be perceived as government only problems. Mm. Um, and I think the best place for that to happen is, is social programs for that to come a private world level international UBI is, I mean, how much, how much social will could you kill for programs like social security and things like that? If it was just already taken care of, if like, $500 a month for everyone was just coming out of thin air because we had figured out the incentives for that system and we didn't have to tax it out of people. We didn't have to deal with the misuse of that tax, that tax revenue. We didn't have to deal with the bickering over, um, over how that happened or what the amount was or the printing of money to fund it. Like oh. we just didn't have to deal with any of that we take away this tremendous source of political evil out of governmental systems. So let's back up a little bit. Cause that's going to be a, an interest. That was an interesting bit right there. You're like making $500 appear out of thin air. I, I want you to really explain how you think that that's possible based off of fit. You said figuring out the right incentive structure such that that can, um, you know, exist what is that incentive structure is that or is, are we in the process of, of discovering that and what do you what do you see that being so that and how how does that work with uh, is that on a global level is this on a global level is this on a is this funded internationally through for all all over the world like what do you see that structure looking like like in detail 
So the first place to start is um, distribution. Distribution is not a crazy hard problem to solve. Uh, so we, one, we have, to assume, we, we have to assume we've solved identity. So we have to take that as an assumption of this conversation right. um, that we solved, we solved identity. I can, we can assume that I can prove to you that this person is this person and you don't have to ask me that question again. So we can throw that out the window. No one is getting paid twice. Got it? That's done. So once you can assume that, uh, distribution is actually really easy. I have all the registered wallets in the world. I know who they go to and I can write a computer program that says send one token to each one of these people every hour forever. Um, that's an easy computer program to write. Uh, but it's also very clear to see that unmodified, that's a, an infinitely growing, it's a linearly infinitely growing supply. So that part of it's not crazy. It's not an exponentially growing source of money. It's, it's literally just one token going to um, everyone on earth, one per hour forever. Um, so that's a source of value. It's inflationary for sure. It's very inflationary. And so you can imagine that whatever you can buy with that token today, you're probably going to be able to buy a little less tomorrow and a little less day after that and a little less day after that. And so the playground of solutions. So we have to assume distribution. So we know that's fixed and we know identity is fixed. I know how to get this token to everyone and I know that who everyone is. So those are, those are assumptions. The next logical question to ask is, how do I give that token uh, something like a stable value? And the main mechanism we know for how to do that is uh, to create some type of scarcity. So um, we've got to constrain the supply of those tokens on the other end somehow. Um, and so like that becomes the playground of ideas. Um, so we start to imagine things like Maybe you have a cap for how much uh, of this token any any one person can hold in a wallet. Um, that's kind of easily gameable because people will just set up mechanisms to convert um, that stuff to harder assets as fast as possible. Um, you might be able to imagine high high fee burns. So maybe uh, you know transaction fees are very heavy, such that you you know you're fighting the supply increase with supply decrease. You know, you, you try to balance the fee burn on the, you know, on the velocity of money, you know, try to burn as much as you create so that you have somewhat of a constant supply. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's any number of solutions that you can, you can start to imagine, like anything that creates scarcity against a token um, is a way to imagine it. A secondary uh, solution to this problem is to try to create a gigantic trust. So if we can sock away 50 trillion, $100 trillion equivalent of value such that people are actually, the, the, the value of the token is being backed up by the interest of this giant trust. Well, that's a sustainable way to, to, to back the value of a universal basic income with a token as well. So, but to get there, so there's a couple of things. So to get there on the second scenario, you have to get $100 trillion or $50 trillion into a trust. So let's put a pin in that for a second. And then before that, you know, we're saying, okay, so we've solved identity, we've solved distribution. All right, fantastic. But then you're saying you have a, a you know, a linear growth 
in you know the supply of these coins because more wallets will be added over time more people will be added to the system over time but then <clears throat> you're also saying you're trying to impose scarcity so i don't know maybe i'm just not catching this but it seems like well, if you have a limited supply of that with scarcity you're going to run out of these coins and no 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 there's like, i mean you have a, there's just a math there's a math going on where distribution we're sending out one of these to every person every hour so that's an uncapped inflationary mechanism um but you, you sort of have to, you have to have a mind for the flexibility of what's possible in computer programming it's, it's basically if you can imagine a math equation where something goes in and something goes out um or if you just simply trust that there's smart people in the world and someone is going to think about that problem until they find something provocative they're going to find a way to create a scarcity mechanism you know if you look at the the eth community they talk about this uh eip 1559 thing that has yeah. fee burns that that make the supply of ethereum deflationary um so there we we have it that you know we can there's probably something we can do with fee burns to make it so that we're eating the supply of this token over time or that we're uh maintaining equilibrium that's really probably all you need to do. If you can if you can find a way to maintain equilibrium with this UBI token, you've kind of solved the problem. Um, so like, but so how do you distribute? So let's okay. So let's say we 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 solved the problem where I, I'm just not maybe I'm not getting it. How do you distribute more and more and more coins at a linear growth when the supply is now fixed? It's not fixed, so you're it's, you're burning. Okay, so you're burning it, so you're destroying. If you, you're, you're destroying. Yeah, so. you're destroying. If if you change that rate of destruction, your supply is either growing or shrinking. It's like you're literally you've got a differential equation that's working that you're trying to balance. Um, but there's no mandate that that supply has to stay fixed. There's no fixed. These these tokens are being yeah. inflated and created every hour, and then you're trying to imagine a mechanism to to burn or exit um supply on the other side however you do that is however you do that um and so it's it's really it's it's really a playground i'm not you know i'm not putting myself in an argumentative position where i'm giving you any surface area to uh to challenge i'm seeing like well it comes down to the poverty of your imagination like well if you can imagine it you know like there's it's not too hard to imagine adding one here and subtracting one here yeah um it's possible. Like I was getting to the, I was getting stuck on the thing where it's fixed. So you're saying it's not going to be fixed. It's just going to be this mechanism that will be adjusted, and you're you're counting on smart people in the room to know how to adjust it. Yeah, you're you're trying to come up with a clever way to burn because ultimately we know that if if something has a uh, fixed or steadily growing supply, we can figure out how to reconcile the value of that thing relative to other things. We we basically know that. That's kind of a given. Um, we also know that we can inflate away previous debt. And so like inflation over a long period of time with a medium of exchange coin, isn't a terrible thing either. Um, it's just a matter of how much you can sustain before it's like impractical to use it as a medium of exchange. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so is, I mean, as long as you can imagine a mechanism to maintain some kind of equilibrium where people kind of know what to do with this token, they know how many of this token buys a thing and how much of this token they can exchange for a more stable asset, at least on like a, a monthly yearly basis, you know, 
then you've got you've got a reasonable tool um, to provide sustenance to people. I mean, the worst case scenario is the value of the thing goes to zero, yeah. right? So like if it starts with a certain amount of value and it just goes to zero over time, well, the UBI starts out, that, that 500 tokens a month starts off being worth $500 and ends up being worth $10. Um, that's the worst tragedy. So like as long as you create a scarcity mechanism, um, you can probably imagine ways to drive that value up somehow. And so like whether it's through a trust backing it with assets or some kind of trust, um, whether it's through fee burns, um, you know, those are all, all topics for debate, but it's certainly a very, the, the gains to be made from solving that problem in terms of dissolving potentially very destructive political will around the world for, for certain social programs is profound. Do you see the fee burn being essential for the Ethereum network? I don't actually. I, I actually don't think there's the rate of token inflation on the Ethereum network as it is. I don't see as being a huge problem. It's very, it's very reasonable. It's like two to three percent a year forever has been as basically. It's just not crazy. Um, I never, I never really saw it as a big problem. Uh, yeah. But the fee burns nice, you know, quote unquote ultrasound money where you actually have have less of it and you're actually constraining the supply sounds right. okay sure why not yeah well we'll see what happens with it man that was uh was an interesting deep dive into some pretty technical stuff with the blockchain some pretty awesome ideas and yeah I, I do feel like we're in the we're in like this really unique period of time where there's just this explosion of this new technology this like third um third coming of the internet if you will <laughs> it's like yeah it's uh it's pretty exciting stuff and i'm just gonna end it with you know what price am i and uh eth is at 2420 and yeah well, let's end it there buddy um that was a killer conversation man appreciate it as always is a, a, a always a pleasure to feel like i'm uh you know, on the pulse of the, of the blockchain world through, through living vicariously through your work with what you're doing. What are you, um, you know, I guess we'll end it. What, what, what's, what is the one project right now? I know we're, we're talking about how, how many projects there are, you know, seemingly every day that are being started up. What is the new, is there a new project right now that you're really excited about? I mean, other than this, this, um, you know, uh, humanity project this uh crypto human what is it called again um uh, it's proof liquid, of humanity that's, yeah. that's the identity solution and right. you know democracy earth the liquid yes. democracy thing yeah. um other projects i find interesting um even though it's a coin list token sale i thought the idea that mina protocol has is very interesting the idea of a fixed size blockchain where they they have like you could potentially have an extremely, extremely decentralized network that anyone could run a client on their phone. Um, I think that's a very interesting idea. Um, I'm also very fascinated by uh, any of the algorithmic stablecoin projects. Yeah, um, I, rec I, rec yeah. I recently bought some Ample. Okay. Yeah, Ample is a supply-constrained stablecoin. Um, 
So literally the supply of the token changes depending on where the current price is at. If it goes, if it goes above a dollar six, it um it rebases once a day to expand the supply of the coins. So like your wallet might literally grow. Like you might wake up with more ample than you had yesterday. Um, <laughs> you'd be pretty amped up if that happened. Yeah, you'd be pretty ample up. <laughs> and then on the on the other end, if it drops below ninety six cents um, a coin, then uh, supply will constrain. So you'll wake up with less coins in your wallet. But the goal is that you'll maintain the you'll have the same percentage of the network you'll have the same percentage of the supply that you had always interesting yeah yeah okay so it's it's a way for them to maintain a peg in a way um they so they're they're creating stability through a kind of interesting mechanism uh in that way nice maybe that could be uh you know we could we could dive into some stable coins in another podcast that's a whole other area of discussion with um, quite a bit of changing technology and some controversy in some areas as well. So that'd, mm-hmm. be, that'd be exciting to get into, but um, killer, man. Well, that was fun. This will be the first interview on the podcast. So thanks for coming on and uh, always a pleasure to chat with you. I'm sure we'll do it again soon. Yeah, no problem. I'm sure this won't be the last one. Or even yeah. The, yeah. There'll be the a whole, there will definitely 20. be a whole crypto section uh, of my my evolving podcast it's like a you know an amalgam of like marketing entrepreneurship self-development thing like lessons that i'm learning in life crypto i mean analyzing history it's about as unniched as you could possibly get <laughs> and yeah. it's more it's more just to catalog some fun conversations and you know be like hey that was a cool conversation we had and i think this will definitely be be one of them so yeah right that sounds right. awesome dude well we'll catch you on another one take care buddy all right buddy later